This podcast is brought to you by Grade from Sixbit. Visit sixbit.co.uk to learn more about how Grade can help you with your grading workload. Hello and welcome to the Sixbit EdTech podcast. I'm Manjinder. And I'm Austin. And today we're talking about EdTech. What is EdTech? Now, this is a really broad topic, right? Absolutely. And so I suppose the, the, the definition of, ed, of EdTech is, is also very broad and very general, but we'll, we'll try and be a bit more specific and, and explore that a little bit. If I was asked what EdTech is, which stands for education technology, of course, is that it's just technology which can be in all kinds of forms that are used to enhance the learning experience. So it's technology married together with pedagogical techniques. Yeah, exactly. And it's been around for a long time and it comes in many different forms. It comes in the form of hardware, software, and resources, uh, research like you were talking about as well before. So if we were to break a few of those down, I don't know if this might be dating me a little bit, but the school I went to actually had overhead projectors uh, when I was younger. So they'd have like sheets of plastic transparent paper that they could write on that would be projected onto a wall or a screen so all the students could see what um, was being written. Did you have that? Yeah, no, I, I had that too. <laughs> and I suppose you, you're right that that was a very early use of, of technology. I mean, it's not a computer, but it's still an electronic thing and it involves some some kind of technology. I mean, you, you could argue in some sense that chalk and slate was technology at one point. Yeah. I think we're going to get a very reoccurring theme here. And the theme is going to be, does this improve the education that students are getting? And does it improve the well-being and lives of the teachers that are giving that education? And with something like an overhead projector, it actually is. Because writing on a piece of paper is much easier than writing on a board. And you can do really fancy things with diagrams and overlay extra different sheets and all this fancy kind of stuff. Even though it is really old school. Yeah, just make sure you don't stand in the way of the projector uh, beam. <laughs> I think a, a few years into my education, when I was when I was in secondary school, so this is the the early two thousands, uh, smart boards started to come into school. You know, the teacher that had the smart boards, they, they probably were one of the more senior teachers who who got to wrangle one. But they they were interesting because now you had a whiteboard, but it was also sort of a computer, which meant that you could interface handwriting with images videos sound etc bringing multimedia to the education experience did you get to use any smart boards when uh, during your training as a teacher you know what no i didn't actually yeah i feel like they were a bit of a phase that were relatively quickly moved on from it all it all sort of went back to powerpoints and projectors and i think it's because Actually, the, the only difference with a smart board was was minuscule. So so when I was a school teacher, I, I would project, I would have a projector screen and I'd have a separate whiteboard as well. However, I have seen teachers that would project their computer screen onto their normal whiteboard and be able to write over it with a whiteboard pen if they wanted to annotate as well. But I usually found that actually just projecting a PowerPoint was sufficient and then I could make notes on, on the board to one side as well. And I think probably they're equally as effective. It's just having the difference, having the whiteboard and having a projector is just convenient, actually. Yeah, and actually, the smart boards are surprisingly expensive compared to just standard projectors. 
So there's a bar when it comes to attaining that technology, which is obviously not very good. And I think one one thing that will probably come as a, as a reoccurring thing is that technology has come in and out of fashion as well. So like we said with smart boards, barely anybody uses them anymore. Overhead projectors get some use. They're a bit they're a bit niche now. And some of the things that we'll talk about that are currently used a lot may in the future not be used as much or if at all, because other things may take their place or become more convenient. Yeah, yeah. And I guess coming slightly more into modern day technology, we now have things like iPads, tablets and laptops. It's not too uncommon for a classroom to have their own personal iPads or tablets where they can do their work and the student and the teachers can see what they're doing. I've seen primary schools where they have like gamification within those uh, tablets where they learn about arithmetic and things like that. I guess we're moving into the idea of software now, right? Absolutely. So I I dabbled a little bit about software just now and it is a different type of education technology. Now, in my opinion, it's a lot more interesting. It's more interesting because the hardware is there and it's what you do with that hardware. The, hard, the hardware doesn't change very often and it changes slowly. So you move from OHPs, overhead projectors, into smart boards, into having a laptop with a PowerPoint. How do you make use of that? And at the moment, most people have laptops and tablets. So how do we make use of that? It's with software. And software is really fast to change and really fast to update. So if people have new features that they want, usually they can be brought in relatively quickly, which means that it's going to be cheaper to update to. You get this really nice feedback loop where the rate of improvement with regards to software is much, much faster and affordable than with hardware. So in my opinion, data is a really big thing and it's it's why the software experience can be super useful. If we were to track even the simplest thing, like the grades that the student is attaining throughout the year, in even an Excel spreadsheet, and we draw a couple of charts from that, you can see some really nice trends. You can see whether the class is actually improving over time, whether they're picking up topics, whether teaching is effective. And, and that's just the surface level stuff that you can do with an Excel spreadsheet. Imagine how much bespoke data that you contain through the use of software that can improve the education experience. Yeah, if you have data on every single question a student's answered to minutia, you can start to understand what fundamental concepts don't they understand, and then you can start addressing that. And if you've got the right software, it can suggest the next thing to move on to and the correct difficulty for things. So it can be extremely powerful. Yeah, very much so. It can be really useful for classroom management. So if you have a class using tablets or laptops, you can see what they're doing and you can make sure that they're on track without having to really, you know, walk around the classroom. And also attendance as well. Yeah. There are certain ways to, to monitor attendance without having to manually take a register. It could be, I've, I've seen technology out there that essentially allows students to be in the same room uh, and their smartphones can, can indicate that they're present. Yeah. Some really interesting tech over there. And this might sound really basic, but the idea of teaching without paper, the fact that you don't have to lug 30 or 40 books around back home when you're marking them or back into the classroom and the students don't have to have these hefty bags that it's probably not good for their posture when they're carrying them. And having just all of that resource available 
uh, much easier. The fact that you can do something like Control F on a virtual textbook means that you can find the content that you want much easier. And that is just so much more useful. I think uh, the the obvious one that that we are interested in as as six bit is grading assistance. Speeding up that process of being able to mark and give feedback to students is is an enormous thing because of the amount of time teachers spend marking manually at the moment. So technology is there to either do that completely for you or to speed it up as much as possible. Exactly. And one quite interesting thing is that if we have a really good implementation of hardware and software, all of a sudden learning doesn't become a thing that has to happen during the class or lecture hours. It can happen whenever the students want. If you have resources like videos, like lecture recordings or classroom recordings that students can access whenever they want, they can learn whenever they want. If they have assignments that they can do and be automatically graded or graded really quickly, they can do those whenever they want and fit their learning to their own environment. And then the, the third the third thing is resources. Now, one could argue that resources are really powered by ed, ed tech, but they come in two really main forms, which is question banks, which are pre-written questions that can be really easily distributed to your students. So you don't have to manually put together a problem sheet. Uh, you can click on a few boxes and then suddenly your students all have a load of questions to do. That's a really big time saver. Uh, and likewise, content as well. Having lessons prepared, whether that's a lesson that you've recorded yourself uh, and then given to the students to watch as video content, again, leaning into that 24-7 learning. Or it can be PowerPoint slides that you get from somewhere that just mean that your lesson planning is shorter because you've downloaded a PowerPoint, it's got a load of good pedagogy in there, then you tweak it so that it matches your learning outcomes and suddenly you've saved a load of time. Yeah. There's that theme again, right? We're trying to improve the teacher experience because those teachers are so valuable. I guess one of the things we should probably talk about is what students themselves get out of edtech. And the first thing that comes to mind is fast uh, or, in some cases, instant feedback. So you don't have to have books or multiple sheets of paper that a student is doing some work on that you have to collate and then distribute a between markers, or if you're unlucky enough having to do them all yourself, uh, sit down and completely work through and then wait until you happen to be in the next class with them to then distribute them back. If it's all digitized, you can mark whenever you'd like, and just when you're done, press a button and then the students can see it. That turnaround time gets reduced really, really fast. And in some cases with powerful grading software, you can even do things like have instant feedback. You can write questions that are automatically graded or have things like that multiple choice or, you know, with six bit somewhere in between and get that feedback even faster to students. Imagine doing a question where you're really not too sure of the method. So you try something, submit it, and you have to wait two weeks or maybe a week or however long it takes for somebody to mark that, give that back to you, and then to say, ah, no, this is the method that you should have used or you should have done that here. That's usually good feedback because you're helping the student learn how to improve. But imagine if that feedback was supplied to them instantly. Imagine if they'd just been thinking about that method, did something wrong, and then was told straight away, no, try this instead. It's much fresher in their mind, uh, and therefore they can actually learn more quickly and more effectively. Yes, because how fast students get feedback 
is directly correlated with their improvement. That's been shown. So of course we want to make sure that quality is really high, but we want to get that feedback to them faster as well. High quality feedback is now more important than ever. Grade enables educators to give fast, effective feedback by analyzing student work and previous feedback so you never have to grade the same thing twice. Over time, Grade learns more and more so savings and time continually increase while still providing students with high quality human feedback. Visit 6bit.co.uk to learn more about how Grade can help you with your grading workload. So we've already talked a little bit about how with technology you can have 24-7 learning, but it goes slightly further than that. You can actually have asynchronous learning. Yes, yeah, so as a lecturer, for example, I may produce a few videos on my lectures explaining all the content, how to do it, with examples, etc. And because I've made a pre-recorded video, I can put that onto our learning management system, and then students can access that when it suits them at whatever time they want, provided they do it before a certain deadline, so we can discuss it in tutorials, etc. Uh, and it's a really powerful thing because it doesn't require them to get out of bed at eight in the morning for a nine o'clock lecture. It means that students have more flexibility than they used to. Yeah, exactly. And then we were talking a little bit about data earlier, but imagine having completely personalized analytics. If the questions that you attempt are tagged and you get reports based on how well you did in those questions, and you look at the progress that you're making through a particular course, uh, and how fast you're doing it, and getting that exact feedback that's bespoke to exactly and only you, that is going to tell you what you're doing well in and what you're doing poorly in to a level that's really hard to do manually and will vastly improve your learning experience. Yeah, it's often done quite vaguely at the moment. For instance, teacher reports that you know are given to students every six months or something, they're often sentences taken from approved banks that sort of roughly say how well the student's doing in general. Imagine saying this student's really good at problem solving, but they lack the arithmetic skills to approach the more difficult problems, for example. That's something that's quite difficult to pick out from a large class, 30 students, uh, and getting to know your students. However, uh, if you can look at the data to see, oh, they've done really well on questions that have been tagged as problem solving questions. However, they always seem to lose marks on feedback that has been tagged with arithmetic. Uh, and being able to pick all that information out in, in large automated processes, again, saves teachers time having to write reports. Uh, rem I remember writing reports as a teacher and it was it felt like a bit of a wasted exercise, actually. But having more data, uh, having it done automatically, where you obviously check and make sure that it seems to agree with what you think about that student, saves time and it gives much better feedback. Yeah. Now, students aren't the only people that get a lot of, out of EdTech. Teachers do too. The first and easiest one for me to think about is reduced workload. So we've alluded to this this entire time. If you have questions that you can pick out, then you don't need to write those questions. If you have systems that automate or um, speed up the process of giving feedback and grading work, then you have to grade work for less time. If you have lecture content or lesson content that's been pre-written and you just have to edit a little bit, you don't have to write that content. And that's a big thing. The The more workload we can reduce from teachers all over the world, the better their lives are going to be. And the more they can just focus on the core part of their job, 
which is actually just teaching students. With better curated content, you get better engagement. If the students are enjoying what they're doing, they're more likely to do it, which means you don't have to worry too much about making sure that every single person is making progress through the course. And because you can track where they are along the course using tech, you can pick out those people that might be lagging behind and give them bespoke help as well. The, the other really important thing that educators can get out of edtech is improved well-being as well from a few perspectives. But for example, reducing the workload of all the menial tasks that teachers and lecturers have to do, like marking, means that they can spend more time focusing on the reasons why they're educators in the first place. Uh, for me, the actual interaction that I have with students face-to-face -face or at the moment on in Zoom calls, for example, is the reason why I teach. And if I can spend more time doing it, then I'm going to be happier as a professional. Yeah. On top of students and educators, institutions are the other main body that we need to think about in terms of edtech because obviously they're the people that purchase the edtech, they're the people that get their staff to use it, and they're the people that encourage the students to use it ultimately. So let's think about what institutions get out of edtech. An obvious one that's been relevant since uh, March 2020 is the ability to actually still deliver your teaching during the global pandemic. Uh, a lot of stuff has moved online this year and without edtech being there as existing infrastructure, this would not have been possible. Uh, and institutions heavily rely on this, especially universities at the moment. And on top of that, if the companies that you're working with have a collaborative agreement with you, you can offer up ideas that you think will help you and they can bring those into fruition, strengthening the effect of technology over time. Now, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. There are definitely drawbacks to edtech as well, right? Oh, yeah. You know, not all edtech is born equally. Different platforms are going to give you varying degrees of interactivity and feedback. Buying the, the cheapest platform out there for, for some purpose may not be the best option, although it is cheaper. So you do need, as an educator, to explore these options and to think about, will this provide the education that I want it to to my students? And it's not always obvious whether it will. And you have to think about it from a pedagogical perspective, from a way that you implement it and how you track your engagement as well. Uh, simply putting technology and software out in front of students does not mean that they're going to do it. And it does not mean that they're going to engage well with it. So you should make sure that education technology is used appropriately and often in ways that complement the teaching that you're already providing in the more analog format. Exactly, exactly. I mean, adding technology can actually limit the experience if done poorly. Now, if we're talking about hardware, going all the way back to smartboards, I remember some smartboards were better than others. So if you were constantly worrying about alignment between the touch pens and the uh, projector and being able to make sure you can interact with your content really easily and smoothly, you're not spending that time teaching. And that's a huge drawback. And when we're talking about assessment and feedback, I think the big thing and the really obvious thing is multiple choice. We've all seen multiple choice questions and they don't compare to the depth of feedback that you can give to a fully worked solution or a short answer text or an essay. You can't, you can't write an essay with different multiple choice questions stitched together, right? So uh, there's obviously benefits to having multiple choice. That instant feedback comes to mind. 
But if that quality of feedback and that detail of feedback matters, then it's clearly not the right solution for you. And of course, the exciting thing about technology is that it's always evolving and looking towards the future, there are many things that potentially could be used. I think the first one to talk about is VR, virtual reality. Uh, it is used in, in some places already to, to visualize things in, in ways that you can't do with, with whiteboards or PowerPoints. For example, three-dimensional visualization of molecules could be a really powerful way to teach students about the structure of molecules. Yeah, I, I've heard about places that use VR to visualize dentist patients because, surprisingly, a lot of dentists don't get too much experience until they meet a hands-on real patient. And you'd rather they got something that was close to real, virtual reality being one of those things, before they got into contact with a like a human patient. And, you know, visualizing engines and combustion and like being in a situation which is obviously very difficult to be in in real life, but being able to be there in virtual reality can obviously add a depth that um, is very difficult to do otherwise. It's exciting to think about the future ways that we can enhance cognition by letting people visualize things in completely different perspectives. Yeah, it is so cool. And augmented reality is another scope for this. Imagine being a med student and when you're going around practicing your diagnosis, you need to hear the particular heartbeat of this patient. You could synthesize what this heartbeat is going to be like using augmented reality, but still have that real human connection that doctors require between themselves and their patients. Also, of course, AI artificial intelligence is, is a huge part of our society and the potential that it can provide to education is, is, is somewhat limitless. It's as limited as our imaginations can be and, and as powerful as our neural networks and our algorithms can, can achieve. Yeah. Of course, with AI, we have to be careful and ethical. But if we are, the sky's the limit. Yeah, if you've got computers making decisions that are pedagogical, imagine the amount of time that could be saved. I, I would say that you should never, ever get rid of teachers. I think teaching is very much a human interaction and that should never be lost. But to use AI to enhance that experience or, again, thinking about asynchronous learning, always accessible, fast, immediate feedback... AI will be the solution to that. So I hope that we've given you a good overview of what EdTech is. For those of you who know it well, hopefully we introduced you to a few new things. And for those of you who've only recently been introduced to EdTech, I hope that this has given you a nice broad overview of the current landscape. I guess until next time, I've been Manjinda. And I've been Austin. And we'll see you next time.